This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Tonight's episode is actually a Patreon episode. I wanted to share it with everyone to kind of give you a sneak peek at my new Patreon program. This was a Patreon-selected episode, meaning my Patreons are the ones who chose it. So shout out to all of you guys. I love you so, so much, and I always appreciate your support. My new Patreon program launches on September 1st, and there are just two tiers to make it super simple. For only $2 a month, you get all of my episodes early and ad-free. You also get a thank you card. For just $5 a month, you also get a bonus episode every single month that you get to vote for. You also get 15% off all of my merchandise with new merch coming out quarterly and an exclusive Patreon-only Serial Napper sticker that I'm having designed right now. My Patreon billing cycle is paused for the summer, so if you wanted to hop over and try it out now, it's totally free to join. I won't be unpausing billing until September 1st, so it's a really great time to hop over there and see what you think. Check out patreon.com slash serialnapper for all the details. Now let's get right into tonight's story. For those of you who are around the same age as I am, you likely remember the Beethoven movies growing up. They were super popular in the 90s and featured the very giant and slobbery and lovable St. Bernard, who was adopted into the Newton family. The series went on to include Beethoven's second, Beethoven's third, Beethoven's fourth, Beethoven's fifth, and a few more spinoffs. One of the characters from Beethoven's third and Beethoven's fourth was a little boy named Brennan Newton. He was a member of the extended Newton family and played by child actor Joe Pitchler. But many people are not aware of the tragic story surrounding Joe Pitchler, who would disappear in 2006 when he was just 18 years old. In fact, Joe is still missing to this day, and authorities have no idea what happened to this young man who had such a bright future ahead of him in Hollywood. So let's get into all of the details. Joe was born on February 14th, 1987, so he was only a year younger than myself. He was the fourth child of a family of five kids, and his parents started him in acting at a very young age. 
He began his career at just four years old by landing a few roles in commercials and video shoots around Seattle, Washington, where the family lived. But it quickly became clear that Joe, who had these big brown eyes and an adorable baby face, had a true talent for acting, and that if the Pitchler family made the move to LA, he might be able to hit it big. His first big gig was a small role in the 1996 movie The Fan, which starred Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. From there, things moved pretty quickly, and he landed roles on Touched by an Angel, Promised Land, and Lois and Clark, before being picked up for the Beethoven movies. Even though he was on the fast track now, and Hollywood can be a really volatile place, particularly for young actors, Joe seemed to stay away from the bad stuff, and he really tried to keep a wholesome image. In a 2001 interview with the Kitsap Sun, he said, I've said no to sex and drugs. I don't want to get typecast. I'd much rather do movies than TV. I like the whole atmosphere of changing characters and meeting new people. His final role before his disappearance would be in 2002 in the independent film Children on Their Birthdays. He was one of the main characters in the story, playing Billy Bob Murphy, a little boy who falls in love with a new girl in town. He acted right alongside Jesse Plemons, who was also an up-and-coming child star at the time and has now achieved a ton of success and fame in Hollywood. Every time we do this, we get caught. We ain't gonna get caught this time, Billy Bob. If my mom finds out, she won't. My mom always finds out. That's why I'm glad I don't got them all. Preach, don't look. Why not? Because they're not hardly wearing nothing. Come on, Billy Bob. I never heard of one law says you can't watch two girls reading magazines. Unfortunately, Joe would never get the opportunity to do the same. In 2003, when he was just a teenager living out the insanely busy schedule of an actor in LA, his family insisted that he come back home to Bremerton, Washington. They told him that he should probably lay it low for a while, take a break, and really figure out what he wanted to do in life, whether that was acting or something else. He wasn't immediately thrilled at the idea of giving up acting and coming back home, but once he got back to his hometown and was closer to his friends and family, he seemed to settle in. He was able to graduate from his local high school in 2005 and had decided that he wanted to return to acting in LA once his braces would be off the following year. He had a pretty unique living situation. Yes, he was a teenager, but he was a teenager who had money in the bank from all of his acting jobs, so he had his own place located across town from where his parents and siblings lived. He also received a significant amount of money from his trust fund after he turned 18 years old. His friends probably thought it was the coolest thing ever. He found a full-time job to keep him busy as a telephone technician at a company called Teletech. It wasn't the glamorous lifestyle that he had been exposed to, but he was honestly just a good kid who wanted to make an honest living while he waited to return to his acting career. He really was just like any other kid his age. His family would say that he had a pet guinea pig that he loved a ton and he enjoyed playing with magic cards. Overall, things in Washington were just completely typical and normal. There weren't any red flags to suggest that something terrible might happen. But in January of 2006, 
something would go wrong and Joe would simply vanish. And I know it's impossible for a person to just vanish, but with the details that we know, it really feels like he just disappeared into thin air. So here's what we know from the last time that anyone heard from Joe. The date was January 5th, 2006. Earlier in the evening, Joe had a few drinks with his friends and he played some magic cards. He appeared to be in good spirits. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, according to his friends. He would drive two of his friends home later in the evening and the other two would find their own way home. After they had all left, his mood apparently changed. He stayed up all night into the morning, continuing to drink alcohol. Around 4.15 in the morning, Joe called one of his good friends, Justin, who had been playing magic cards with him earlier in the evening. Justin said that Joe was clearly intoxicated and described him as inconsolable. Something wasn't right, but Joe wasn't making a whole lot of sense. He told Justin that he had to go, but that he would call him back in an hour. Joe would never make that call back. No one would see or hear from Joe again. His friends and family became worried when they couldn't reach him the following day. So around 7 p.m. the next evening, Joe's mom Kathy sent her son and Joe's brother AJ to his apartment to check on him. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When AJ arrived, he found the apartment unlocked and the lights were left on. They would say that this was not normal or typical at all for Joe to leave his apartment unlocked and with the lights still on. AJ decided to wait around for about an hour to see if Joe would return, but when he didn't, AJ turned off the lights and locked the apartment door behind him. The next day on January 5th, Joe's mother Kathy decided to go to the apartment again herself. And again, he wasn't there, and there was no indication that he had been there the last couple of days. At this point, Kathy calls the police to report Joe as missing. She continues to search for her son. She calls all of his friends to see what they know. She went to Joe's workplace, but they told her that he hadn't shown up to work and he never called in sick. Allegedly, at this point, Kathy asked AJ to gather a group of Joe's friends to try and help with the search, and AJ called up a few people, including Justin, the young man who Joe had called in the early morning hours before he disappeared. And allegedly, according to AJ, the pair got into Justin's car and drove around looking for any signs of Joe. In AJ's opinion, Justin seemed to be taking deliberate turns and directions that led directly to Joe's parked car. It was four days later, on January 9th, 2006, that Joe's 2005 silver Toyota Corolla would be found by Justin and AJ. It was completely abandoned. It was parked behind a restaurant about a half a mile from the Port Madison Narrows, which is a large body of water. Inside the car, police would find a two-page letter that they described as a suicide note. Joe's family has described it as two pages of poetry and some other ramblings, including a sentiment about how he wanted to be a quote-unquote stronger brother for his siblings and how he wanted his younger brother to have some of his belongings. But his family did not believe that this was a suicide note at all. At this point, the police basically stopped investigating Joe's disappearance. To them, this appeared to be an obvious suicide. It's alleged that they told the Pitchler family that Joe had likely parked his car there, walked over to the nearby bridge, and jumped off of it. 
They said that his body would likely show up in the water within a few months. The police have denied ever telling Kathy this. It should be noted that the police did do a short search of Joe's apartment with his sister Shauna, and they reported that everything appeared to be in its place. But Shauna would say that the search was very brief, no more than three minutes long. So really, they searched out of protocol as part of their process, but to her, it didn't really seem like they were looking for anything. All of Joe's personal belongings were left behind at his apartment when he vanished, with the exception of his wallet and his car keys, neither of which have ever been recovered. And while the police were quick to end their investigation and label this a suicide, there are quite a few red flags here that could point to the contrary. Of course, number one being the friends he was with the evening before he went missing said that he was in good spirits. We never truly know what a person is thinking, feeling, or going through, so that's not to say that a person who appears to be happy won't go on to take their life. We know that this still happens, but it's something that should be considered, the fact that he was in good spirits. His family also did not believe that he was depressed or suicidal at the time of his disappearance. According to the Charlie Project, search dogs were used to try to find Joe, yet they did not trace his scent to the bridge, where police say that they think that he likely jumped. And his body has never been recovered. It didn't wash up within a few months, as police said it would. It's been 16 years now, and his body still has not been recovered. The police would release Joe's car to the Pitchler family, and they noticed a few odd things that they reported to the police, one being what appeared to be vomit in the floorboard of the car on the passenger side, the other being cards from Magic the Gathering game that were strung out all over the vehicle. The family claims that the most valuable cards Joe owned were missing from the ones that were all over the car. The vomit was also never tested for DNA, and the car has never been forensically analyzed in any way by the police. Police also deny that it was, in fact, vomit in the vehicle. And the car, well, it just sat in the Pitchler driveway, not being driven for years. Allegedly, the Pitchler family also discovered some big red flags back at Joe's apartment when they went to go and clean it out. They believed that it had been robbed. Again, there were magic cards thrown all around Joe's apartment and in his closet, but the expensive rare cards were missing from the collection. And again, they reported this to the police. However, the police never came back to the apartment to look for evidence to test for blood or fingerprints or anything like that. Now, what about the letter or the suicide note? Joe's family is adamant that it was not a suicide note and that Joe was known to write poetry. I've scoured the internet trying to find a copy of this letter to have a look for myself, but I haven't been successful. Still, I've read comments made by people who have seen the letter, and they've stated that it looks like a piece of paper with things jotted down. The direction of the writing is in several directions, and even the words do not appear to be suicidal. There is also no goodbye written in the letter. According to people who have seen it, the writing doesn't even appear to be written all at the same time. It looks like he wrote things down at different times. And it was found stashed in his car underneath other items, not in a place that would be immediately noticeable. 
Now, I've seen several sources online that say five months after Joe's car was found, his friend Justin came forward to confirm that the letter was not a suicide note, and in fact, he and Justin had written the poem together. This is all alleged because I can't find any specific source to back it up. There are also allegations made by Joe's mother, Kathy, that a few months after Joe disappeared, his ex-girlfriend came to visit with her at her home and she let a piece of information slip that she and another girl had gone to Joe's abandoned car that was left behind the restaurant to remove any items that might embarrass the family, but the police had already found it. Kathy asked the ex-girlfriend how she knew where the car was and apparently she wouldn't respond. It is also alleged that she had a second set of keys to Joe's car, which could mean something or absolutely nothing at all, and that's why I'm not even going to name her in my episode. This is all alleged, and you can find the information floating around on several sites that have since been archived, including web sleuths and a website that Kathy has created. It's unclear if any of those details are significant to Joe's disappearance, and that's simply because the police have not really done a thorough investigation here. It seems to me, in my opinion, that they believe this to be a suicide right off the bat, and so they stopped putting any time or resources towards it. Again, Joe's car was never examined, and neither was his apartment. There was never a search for any DNA or fingerprints, and there were several people that he was close to that he had spoken to just prior to his disappearance that were never even interviewed. Joe's mother, Kathy, has also expressed her frustration with the investigation or lack thereof. She wrote about it on the Surviving Parents Coalition website in 2011. She wrote, My son, Joseph Pitchler, went missing five and a half years ago. His case was handled so poorly by police, and most of the evidence was lost. Their mistakes were because local police didn't know the correct procedures for missing children slash persons. Since the disappearance of my son, my local law enforcement has learned to handle these cases much better. For that, I am very thankful. It helps find some purpose for my family's tragedy. Joseph is not a runaway. That's the only thing I know for sure about his disappearance. After nearly six years, we still have no resolution. Since Joseph's disappearance, my focus has been to help raise awareness of our nation's epidemic. I also struggle to get through each day without answers as to the whereabouts of my missing son. Our system is so very broken in so many ways. Through education and prevention, there is hope. I keep looking for purpose in my son's disappearance. The only way I've found anything positive about my loss is when I help others live this nightmare. I do understand the suffering of other parents. Now I try to work for a better future so that others aren't forced to wear these shoes. As far as I know, Joe Pitchler's case is still labeled as an endangered missing teen. If he were still alive today, he would be 35 years old. But there is really no indication that he is still alive. He hasn't accessed cell phones, he hasn't accessed his bank account or anything like that. 
If we take that supposed suicide note off the table, because it has since kind of been debunked, as his friend Justin said that they actually wrote it as poetry together, if we leave that out of the equation, there aren't any other real indicators to suggest that this was a suicide. And that's the biggest reason I wanted to cover this story. I believe there is a strong possibility that Joe was met with foul play, and his family deserves to have answers. Whether it's a suicide or otherwise, they deserve to know what happened to their son. It's still an ongoing investigation, although I'm sure at this point it's on the back burner with so many other recent disappearances taking priority. Here are some things to look for if you just want to keep an eye out for Joe. He has a small scar on his nose and another on his forehead, as well as a distinctive red Star Wars tattoo on his inner right forearm. If you have any information regarding Joe Pitchler's disappearance, you are asked to contact the Bremerton Police Department at 360-473-5228. And I will also have this phone number in my show notes. The night that my younger brother found Joe's car, we came out here and there was a black glove sitting on the ground next to the driver door. We never did grab it. We didn't think anything of it to grab it. We are here today because we'd like America's help. We need America's help in helping, locating, or finding out what happened to my brother. He was a childhood actor. He's played in numerous movies, numerous commercials. Um, we thought, well, some people thought that he might have stood up back to California to continue his acting. Um, but that's not the case. We have no idea, and we'll never know unless somebody out there comes forward and lets us know what happened to my brother. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube if you prefer to watch your podcasts. Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!